This week's episode is brought to you by six days of vacation with no games. Hopefully this will never happen again. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Seth, and you're welcome to Burgundy Radio for January 15th, 2017. Coming up on the show, we all had to suffer through a Tempeel joint and a wide-angle lens on what the rest of the season might bring. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for the week. Joining us, as always, is Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. And joining us, as almost always, is Jackie Tiger Vixen. How are you? Wonderful. Hello. So let's open up with a little housekeeping. Shout out to the Burgundy Rainbow admins. If you haven't been to the site this weekend, it has a new look and some new sections. Earl, what can we expect to find there? Oh, you did have to mention that without telling me. Um, We're just going to reorganize things a little bit just because when we started the site four months and and a little bit ago, we didn't actually know how things were going to go as far as organization. So now that we have a little bit of experience and, you know, we're concentrating on things that, that maybe we didn't anticipate. um, We just got it a a little bit more easily accessible. So we have our, our pro categories on one tab and there you can find the avalanche of course, and the rampage and the Eagles and our pro prospects. And then we also have an amateur tab, which is a lot of Jackie's work, and that's going to be um, our avalanche prospects as well as our draft coverage. And um, at some point down the road, we're going to we're going to have um, a tournament tab there where we'll be keeping track of uh, some of the junior tournaments and draft eligible tournaments over the course of the year. Nice. So that's fun. Yeah. Anything else you might want to direct the people toward? Well, we started something late this week that, uh, you know, just sort of for a goof, but um, we have Burgundy Rainbow merchandise for you to purchase if, if you're inclined to do so. Um, we have some sublime to ridiculous things like double cupcake tank tops, um, cupcake socks, as well as Burgundy Rainbow mugs and burgundy rainbow hoodies and t-shirts so check those out i think they're fun and we also do get uh the profit on those things so um it it will also help support us if if you are so inclined to buy anything of course no pressure but um every little bit helps yeah i hope you check it out yeah that's it it does help us out a little bit and just makes our coverage better. Yeah, costs a little, little bit of money to post stuff, so we're always very appreciative of any support that we get from you guys, as you probably have noticed. Um, but uh, just wanted to open up with a, with a quick shout-out to uh, to the work that, especially, I think it was Seamill that did most of the work on that this weekend. Um, and by this weekend, I mean Thursday night and Friday, but... Uh, I think it was C-Mill. It was a little bit. I think Yeti did some, but I think it was mostly C-Mill. Did I have that backwards, or is that right? Yeah, C-Mill and Yeti and I worked on that. <clears throat> um, you know, pretty much a lot of Thursday afternoon and um, into Friday morning. 
So I just know I got off work. I still got off work on Friday afternoon to a uh, staff chat that was way bigger than usual because y'all had been hammering out the (laughs) fine details of that. So um, this pod may be a little shorter today, um, but here goes. Colorado extended their win streak to six in their one game this week. 4-1 on Saturday over the Dallas Stars. Nathan McKinnon, Alexander Kerfoot, and Blake Como scored. Then Mark Barbario put home the empty netter from way downtown on like two hops, no less. The officiating crew included Tim Peel, so of course some wacky crap happens. What is that? What is this? (laughs) That's my impression of Tim Peel's face. (laughs) (laughs) There's always a controversial call when Peel's officiating. With without without fail, and here's the was the one that this game couldn't live without for some reason. Ben Bishop has the puck behind the net. He takes up that whole entire space. Because he's Ben Bishop and he's like six foot twelve, Como tries to slip between him and the boards to and dislodge the puck while he's at it, but he's not able to do so cleanly and Bishop goes down uh, dramatically. Let's say uh, the puck goes <laughs> directly to an Avalanche player who scores before Bishop has even been able to get back to his skates. Hitchcock challenges. No goal is the result of that ruling. The rule they use to determine this is that you can make incidental contact with a goaltender outside of the crease, but you can't just hit them. I guess Peel and the NHL decided Como hit him on purpose. Anyway. Yeah, that that incidental that can be so much open for interpretation there. Yeah. I really hate that rule. I, I think Como took more liberties than he really needed to. Um, but you know, you had it right the first time. Is is Bishop just didn't give him any room to get by and and. I, I don't know a way around that. Like, if, you know, I understand not being able to hit the goalies because they're not <clears throat> um, padded for it, let's say. You know, they're, they're completely vulnerable on their backside. Um, but on the other hand, they, they can't use that as sort of a, a, a tunnel blocker behind the net. So I, I don't know how you resolve that. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think it was the right call, but it just it's something that needs to be looked at. I'm all for goalie rights, but I think once you decide to leave the crease and wander out there, the goalie needs to take on some responsibility. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, if, you if you're blocking that, I mean, if you're not giving a guy a choice of going around you, then you pretty much need to be able to be hit. Right, and it, and I don't think any of us want a goalie just to get lit up or blindsided or something like that and Como was not trying to hit him now could he have contacted him less well he slew footed him so yeah and, and it is Como who's one of those kind of sneaky guys but, yeah <laughs> but like you said did Bishop give him much room did he decide no. to pretty much take up that entire area and yeah because I mean the goalies know that, that if you know you can't really hit them so if they just oh golly I guess I'm in the way um, you know, that, that is some sort of obstruction. Um, and it just, I, I don't want to see that as something, you know, goalies or teams can use to their advantage. You know, it's like if, <clears throat> if we're, we're constantly looking for ways to improve scoring and offense and things like that, this is an easy way to say, you know, we're, we're not going to let this become an advantage for the defense. Yeah. And, and it led to some interesting but kind of silly takes from people being like well just let the goaltender skated all the way to the red line you can't hit him and <laughs> that's I'm, true though. And i mean who says yeah. no who who says yeah no exactly well, yeah i mean i mean probably 
take the puck from him, but yeah, you certainly can't touch him. And I mean, I'll I was going to say, say Sam Gerard would not let that happen. He just <laughs> hawked that puck right away from him. <laughs> well, definitely. But, I but mean, I, that's one of the, the best YouTube hockey videos of all time is Patrick Walk getting his penalty for crossing the red line. Yeah. <laughs> Why not have more of that? <laughs> I'm very glad that this wasn't the outcome yeah affected the outcome of the game it's just like a funny thing that happened and i'm glad that it wasn't like the turning point of the game because it just sucks when a game is determined by kind of an iffy call that could go either way yeah it seems we can't have a tim peel crew ref a game and not have something stupid like this dominate the discussion about it so let's talk about something else um what were your other (laughs) takeaways last night Oh, first off, the the first goal was fabulous. Um, you know, it was an all rookie goal. Sam Girard takes it away from a Stars player in the Avalanche corner of the zone. Uh, gets it to Greer up by the blue line, who shovels it out to Kerfoot, and Kerfoot makes the most circus goal ever at the other end. Ends up flying and landing on his butt. That was um, a high energy goal. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's just you see, like I mean, I, if you're on the bench or even just a, another player not involved with the play on the ice, you see that. I mean, you're just like, yeah. I mean, that was really fun. <laughs> Discord hated that. It was not a fan <laughs> of that yell at all. It said, "We're not going to hear the middle of this." <laughs> well, that goal was me because yeah, you could you could see it starting like Kerfoot finishing. It was great and everything, and and he made that goal, but it did start all the way back. With Gerard taking the puck, so it's it's really neat to see it come come together like that for a whole goal, and all three of those guys had their parts in it. And I kind of feel like, you know, maybe we'll get to the bigger storyline of like Bernier and McKinnon and and things like that. But I do kind of feel like this game, the kids were kind of an underrated maybe storyline or kind of driving force in this game because I thought Joe's played really well. It was probably Greer's best game. I think Gerard did a lot of good things. Um, Kerfoot, he got two points again, two even strength points on nine minutes of ice time. It just, just keeps happening. Kerfoot and the magic points. Um, and, and Big Z had two points too. I yeah. mean, that's, that's also nice to see. I mean, he's now third in defenseman scoring for the Avs. Right, and, and Gerard has, I think, like six points in six games, which, you know, that's kind of becoming interesting. Like, all these little things are coming together. Maybe it doesn't seem like it's what's winning a game, but I, I really think it's these things are starting to come together that are making a difference. Well, I'm glad that you already mentioned A.J. Greer's role on the uh, Kerfoot goal because, like, one of the opinions I keep seeing from people who watched this game a little bit more closely than I did, because I kept getting distracted by stuff, um, was that AJ Greer played a great game. Yeah, he really did. Um, I mean, it, it, that line did a lot better than they have been. You know, they've they've been gradually getting better, and, and I'm talking about Greer and Kerfoot and Yakupov. Um, you know, they, they've been sort of up and down as far as effectiveness, maybe not having the best shot metrics, but they were all, they're, um, 
three of the top players as far as shot metrics last night. And they, they weren't really sheltered. I mean, they played <clears throat> um, mainly against the Dallas fourth line, but they also played a little bit against the Sagan line. So, they, I mean, they were, um, you know, I, I'd say for all three of them, they, they really just had a good night. And, you know, that that's nice to see because that, that's something you kind of want to, you want to have a fourth line you can use. We've been asking for that all year. And, um, it's just sort of coming together. Yeah, I mean, right I, the- I, I still would hope to see Kerfoot maybe get a bigger role, but yep. it does, it does seem like Jost works with Wilson and Bork for some crazy reason. And then, yeah, then this line's starting to do better. And I agree that Greer's showing what we saw that he's been doing in the AHL the last month or so is is what he's doing with the puck, that he can make passes. He he could have probably had like three or four assists last night. He, he had like the third assist on the McKinnon goal, and yeah. and he had a great pass to Yakupov if he had any sort of finishing ability anymore. <laughs> and um, I think that he's earned the right to stay. Now, maybe, maybe the numbers game's going to catch him. But I really think they need to start thinking about it because I think he's doing what they're asking of him. And with more minutes, I mean, he played like eight minutes. Like, like you could say is he, he's not shooting the puck enough or this or that. But, I mean, you can only do so much when you're only out there for eight minutes. But I think he obviously made a difference in the little time he had. Yeah, he's playing yeah, I mean, his that's game. My... He's not running around. He's playing his game. Yeah, I mean, my main criticism of of him to date in this latest call-up would be that he's not really generating shots, even though when he's on the ice, shots are, are being made. It's it's not him, and that's just, you know, <clears throat> that's one thing you, you have to do. He didn't have any individual courses or shots on goal or anything yesterday. Um, and I realize, you know, it's like the, as he gets better and better defensively and, and that line gets more comfortable playing regular shifts that, you know, that he'll gain the confidence to do that. But that's just sort of the next step I want to see him take. Um, so at some point, you're going to need to see this team have a little bit of a more productive second line. Um. And I'm, my hope is that people like Kerfoot and, and Greer are going to be the the answer to that because right now it, it's Soderberg's second line and like they're 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 doing well but at, you're eventually if if the first line ever gets like blanked you you need a little bit more of an offensively minded second line than what's coming out there I think yeah I think this is this has been an issue for for quite a while and then. And it hasn't come up because they're scoring goals, they're winning, and this and that. But, but yeah, it's not something that they can carry forward forever because, right, you're going to need a second line that's there for scoring. You're going to need to give Kerfoot more minutes. I mean, he's on a like a 60-point pace. You just can't play the guy nine minutes a game any longer. Um, I'm not sure you can't, though. I... I... You know, I, I th- I'd like to see him get more time, and he does tend to get more time than the other two guys on that line. I, he takes shifts sometimes with the first when, um, you know, say Landy's been penalty killing and, and they're coming off of that or something like that. <clears throat> but, 
But I think we saw earlier in the year that if you if you overload him with minutes, he does not get more effective. So um, he, I, I'd like to see him on like a real kind of offensive line with more minutes to to see if he's more effective as like a third third line guy i just think he's been relegated is kind of like the extra like he was down on the fourth line kind of earlier in the year um they needed somebody to play down there and i think jost is good in like a third line role which is where he is now but i think I think Soderberg and some others are going to have to be more line. And then if Como and Nieto stick around, I think they need to be more like a defensive bottom six rather than a play all the time defensive line. Of course, there's no telling how much more time Blake Como actually has with the Colorado Avalanche as he is obviously their number one tradable asset. I, I thought I just, it was Tyson Berry. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the trade Tyson Berry threat. <laughs> no, T- TSN had their top 20 trade targets, and Como wasn't on it, and, and Berry was 20th. Well, that's pretty silly. Which, yeah, that, I thought so, too. That is funny. You'd think that. I mean, yeah, he's not the most likely to go of all the abs, but I don't know. I'm still going to say they're not going to move Como. It's not really? happening. Why do you think no. that? Because they love him. <laughs> he's like the third A. He's like Bednar's favorite. He. I mean, that... the coach is not the AGM anymore. Yeah, but I mean, well, if, 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 if you know his contract's expiring and someone's offering, you know, a, a first and a, and a second for him and something else, like, you know, small. I mean, I mean <laughs> this, is, this is the abs here. Like, I know that Joe is definitely <laughs> going to have to be tempted to move him. If someone's like, "Hey, you know, we'll give you like a fourth for Blake Como," I mean, he's not going to bite on that. Oh, and he shouldn't. That. Like, he can get better than that. No, especially exactly. with the year Como's having. Yeah, but a first or a good second, I don't know about that either. I mean, I I know guys <laughs> like him move for that, but not every guy like him moves for that. Is yeah, it I... possible? Definitely. Is it? Do I really think it's going to happen? No, because. As they move closer and closer to actually having a shot at making the playoffs, I also think it gets into the, let's just keep all the soldiers together and see what we can do. And I think that maybe like a Nieto is more expendable or, you know, someone like that, I could see the Avs saying it's not a big deal. But Como's like, their, he's their vet. I don't even think they see Soderberg as their vet. I think they see him as the vet that's left over. And for them to actually move him, I think, I think would be a huge decision. Maybe they'll do it, but I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you make a good point that the uh, we have to see that the team is actually willing to accept that mindset when they never really have it before. Um, kind of a believe it when you see it approach, and that's definitely what you should have with with what they've done before but i mean you're right every year at the trade deadline there is at least one gm who loses their mind and trades a whole bunch that makes everyone kind of look at it and go huh really that much for that for that player and then and then occasionally that team happens to win the cup despite that player not having very much influence in the run and everyone forgets about it chicago (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, who that player sitting most of the time? <laughs> I 
We're also going on the premise here that the Avalanche are going to stay in playoff contention for the next six weeks. And is that well, going to happen? I mean, they probably will have a little tougher time on the road, but it doesn't take much to stay in the conversation. Like, we can count out the four or five teams that just have no shot right now. Is anyone else within the next month going to join that group? I mean, the, just the tough thing for the Avs is if even if they're playing as well as they are and sitting in seventh place in the division, that's just that's the way it is. You, you, you're not going to make the playoffs. I don't care if you have 100 points. If you're seventh in that division, you're not going to make the playoffs. Right, but I, I see them being like four points out and being like, we still have two games in hand. Or, you know, like you can talk you can talk yourself that you're in the hunt, like, like you yeah. are when you're that far out, even if... No, I know, but... You know, if if you're not making ground and you're still, I mean, if you look at like the Avs goal differential right now, I mean, the, the central goal differential is ridiculous. It's it's plus a hundred, and and that's so much further ahead of everyone in the league. It's just it, it's <laughs> it's such a tough division. It's from kicking the shit out of Edmonton, Vancouver, and Arizona, apparently. And the East. I mean, the East yeah. just isn't as strong as everyone thought it was going to be again. I mean, the, the East definitely was better last year. Um, but it's, it's you know, it, it's not the focal point that it was. I'm, and I'm telling you, those, those three teams are minus 105 GD. <laughs> <laughs> those three teams are minus 105. <laughs> If you add Buffalo to the mix, those four teams are minus one five seven. Ooh. Yeah, the Atlantic. That's just that's it's unbelievable what's happened in that division. Yeah. Um but it's you know the you know, are 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 the Avalanche gonna continue? Obviously they're not going to get ninety six percent goaltending and win every night like they have been over the last six games. Um, you know, it's like, where, where are they going to settle out like a month from now? I mean, they've, they've got a pretty tough schedule, very road heavy and whatnot over the next month. Um, you know, a lot less Eastern trips, um, more, more Pacific and, and central teams. So, well, in February, they basically are a Canadian team. They're going to yeah. play Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and Winnipeg, and that's probably like eighty-five percent of their schedule in February. So, I and that's those, always been a death march for the Avs when they have to do that trip. I know it is, and then also those aren't exactly the toughest teams either. So, that's it's yeah, I could definitely see it swing either way. And, and they play a lot; they play a lot on the road. They usually don't do well up there. But hey, if Farley's not starting, then maybe they have a better <laughs> shot up there. And- Barry's still hurt. Yep, they got a shot. I'm well, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at their schedule for the rest of the month of January, even, and and they play St. Louis on the 25th. But other than that, yeah. their toughest opponents are San Jose and Toronto. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and they and they play Winnipeg in February. I mean, I I see them probably sliding back a little, but but they're going to be in the conversation. I don't see them exiting the conversation at this point out. Depends how much you want to wink, how close they are. If you want to say they're, they have two games in hand and blah, 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 you know, like it depends how much you want to talk yourself into it. 
then well, there's the going to be side a of conversation. That. The the flip side of that is who in the central is going to keep up their pace as well. You know, it's like Chicago is really shaky. Um, you know, I could see them staying where they are, maybe getting a little bit better. I could see them being a lot worse. Um, you know, it's, I, I wasn't impressed again with Dallas last night. We don't play them anymore, but still. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not. Team. Yeah, I, I, I'm not real impressed with them. Um, Minnesota obviously has their flaws, so it you know it, it's a really tough division to call because you know you you've got teams like the Avs and and the, the Hawks and the Wild and, and the Stars, um, you know all beating each other up along with the with the, with the top three clubs. Um, you know it's like now that everybody's sort of playing each other rather than playing outside the division um, for the next. You know, it, it gets more like that in February, obviously. But you know, now now that everyone's going to have a more division-heavy schedule for the rest of the year, uh, that that's going to sort some things out, I think. Yeah, February the toughest teams are Winnipeg a couple of times, and I think there's a game against St. Louis in there. And other than that, it is it's a bunch of Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, those kinds of games. But when you get into March, that's when things get a little bit hairy. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, February, yeah. I could see the I could see the Avs starting to take, you know, like some some of the bubble teams in the Pacific Division. I could see them getting a little bit less, you know, close. Um, I haven't seen Calgary play, so I don't know what to say about them. But you know, they're they're, <clears throat> they're not much. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're all that good. I think they're a lot like the Avs, which they would never want to admit, but they're. They're good, but inconsistent, I think. Well, considering they have real similar like pace and stuff to the Avs, on like in their in their points and their home record and things, or their no, it's not the home record, but like in general, they've won about as many games as Colorado have. So, except um, their defense is better on paper than in reality. Yeah, but they don't have Nathan McKinnon either. No, but they have Johnny Hockey. <laughs> and the re- and the real number one center from the 2013 draft. <laughs> I I bet they'd trade Johnny Hockey for Nathan Hockey personally. No Flames fan would admit that. So, um I, and we did talk last week on the show quite a bit about what our hopes were for the rest of the season and for the trade deadline and stuff. Um and as we look at, you know, where will they be at the trade deadline? I know me bringing up March isn't real relevant, um, but just kind of the the rest of the season in general, what are what are our reasonable expectations? Um, and there's a, quite a bit of context to add to that question. Because uh, both me and Andy, friend of the show and contributor to BSN, published similar pieces yesterday by accident. Uh, we'd both been working on them for like two weeks and we both finished at the same time. Um, but we had similar articles both go up yesterday looking into, you know, what exactly we can expect to come up for the rest of the season and how sustainable what they're doing is without getting heavy into numbers on a podcast and putting everyone to sleep. We both concluded (laughs) that the Avs are having, or they are not having super sustainable results right now, even though it isn't on the level of the Patrick Waugh miracle year. Uh, but things should cool off a little. The question being how much. Um, but 
like Travis Yost mentioned on Twitter today, the total season data point isn't exactly the whole story either. He said today, fun fact, Colorado is over 50% Corsi percentage in their last 20 games. Bender's squeezing yeah. a limited roster pretty well right now. So, yeah, their their year total number is like score adjusted 48 or something like that. But if you look at the trends on Sean Tierney's tableaus, they're always trending up, 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 up. There's just that one period in like November when they played the AHL schedule that they were awful. Something about not being able to get into a rhythm of playing games probably played into that. Uh-huh. Um. But when we look at Colorado's scoring rate, we look at their possession numbers actually improving, look at goaltending not breaking anyone's back for now. I mean, I guess the question is, for this season, what realistically is their ceiling? And as we look ahead to next year, what do they need to add or subtract? Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack here. Um, first of all, I'd like to say, he says limited roster. I don't know if that's true. Um I think what a lot of this team depends on is kind of what we talked about earlier is these young guys being able to take a step and step into maybe a bigger role, maybe at the end of this year, maybe if they do trade some people, but I think next year they need to take that next step. That's what they're there for. So I would like to see them, if we're looking at next year, I would like to see us look internally rather than externally. I understand they're going to have a lot of cap space. There might be people on the market that could fit in. But I think if you're really truly committed to doing this thing of building, then you have to use the players that are here now and put them in those roles before you look outside because you don't know what you have. And I disagree that next year's the time to look at making something happen. It's still a process and it's going to be a process next year as well. Yeah. Steph, I think you had a great point in your article about all the, you know, the guys that we don't really have data on from before this year, as far as their shooting percentages go. So we don't, we don't really know you know, what, how that really, you know, how sustainable really is any of that? I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, you, you can't expect Kerfoot to shoot nearly 30% for the rest of the year. I mean, he might. But um, right, you but don't you, know, is he an 18% Tange? Is he really yeah. 10%? Like, what? Yeah. You you know, is he a 60-point player? Is that, what, is that what we have? Right. Um, so it's it's you know it's it's really tough to say with you know even with a guy like Andrew Ghetto who you know he has a lot more experience than some of the rookies you know he still never really played a full season at the NHL level before so <clears throat> like Patrick Nemeth and that kind of stuff. yeah exactly so it, I think it's really tough to say you know I, I mean obviously it's it's going to be tough to continue this kind of pace but you know, where it, where it falls, it's just, it, I, I can't really say yet because, you know, you just, you, you really don't know who these guys are completely yet. Or that's even that's like... both fun, but it's also, you know, it's just something, you know, new that you have to discover as time goes on. Or someone like Joe's, like we have no idea yeah. what he's going to be able to contribute or Gerard. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, just, there's there's so much of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, had no points for all that, and then 
for like two months almost, and then just all of a sudden, six points in six games is kind of like, whoa, you know what? What could we really expect from him? So, so yeah, there's so much that we don't know, and we don't know can they handle a bigger role? Like, what's the ceiling? Yeah, are we talking about all these top six guys as Kerfoot and Jost and? You know, what can Comfort really do? What, what can all these guys do? We have no idea. Another point I made in that article was, was specifically on Nathan McKinnon, who is having, you know, a, an actual league average shooting percentage season for like the first time in his career. Uh, he was 10% his rookie year, but other than that, he's been very low. Um, Real low, yeah. Like, like low enough that he's all, like consistently performs well below his XG, which is just... Like you look at that and you go, well, maybe he's just a shit shooter, but <laughs> maybe he's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's tough too. Like where he's sitting now, is that going to be his average or is it still a little bit below? Um, so that's tough to tell. I, one thing that encourages me and I hate to use it because I don't like the fake stats that nobody can verify, but supposedly McKinnon is shooting more from the slot, so that would help his shooting percentage is that he's shooting from better areas. Yeah, so that, that, that is would actually point to not sustainability. That's not a fake stat. They, they, can well, actually, they can actually measure that. And he actually is like significantly higher in his individual expected goals than last season by like a by a serious margin. Yeah, it's not just uh, it's not just he's shooting better. He's shooting from better places because his his xG has gone up, and it, and his shooting percentage has gone up. And as far as that being luck or you know becoming more experienced, I mean, you have to think that getting in better positions to shoot in more dangerous areas it, it might be the driver of the whole thing. Yeah, I'm going to conclude it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, and a little bit of column C, which is the rules changes. And we may have mentioned this a little bit last week. I definitely made the point in my article that when, when Nathan McKinnon's hands are not being forcibly removed from his stick, he could actually do things with the puck. Yeah. And I, I think that's a bigger difference than say more penalties called. I think it is that, that they're allowed to use those skills a little bit more. Yeah. That's why the top scorers in the league are, significantly higher than they have been in in recent years like your Kucherovs and your Stamkoses and like those very top um offensive players are really able to differentiate themselves from the pack because they're not getting brought down by this finger whacking and i think there's a cumulative effect of that as well it's sort of you know when you get smacked real hard in your hand it takes maybe a game or two for that to recover and it's like, if you're not dealing with that on top of everything else, it's like, if your hands feel good every day, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal as far as shooting. So um, I, I think that's something that the league, I don't know if they explored all the ramifications of that before they decided to, to make the change there, but it, it's had far-reaching effects, and, and they've been very positive, I think. Yeah, we, we hated it for, for like three weeks because it made the game just unwatchable. But players learned and started playing differently, and now we have excitement. We have skilled yeah. players using their skill. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good with how they handled slashing. I, I think the face-off stuff was... That doesn't make any difference. I'm glad they kind of 
cooled down on that except for throwing guy out of the face off circle like every single time they try to take a draw well, stop puck faking your puck drop, and that'll go away in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think there were definitely guys in the league that cheated a lot, and you and know, a we lot all know of them that were the, on this team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of them isn't anymore. Um, but I, I, I think what, what, what they did with that, I, I think that was just sort of a shot across the bow. Like, look, you know, we don't want to call this penalty. Just, you know, don't. Don't make us pump fake and don't try to cheat and everything will be good because faceoffs aren't that important anyway. And something else you mentioned earlier was about their possession getting better. And I think that's another thing that's definitely worth um, keying in on as they move forward is can they keep that up? And do you guys have any thought on what's kind of causing that is I think breaking the puck out with Gerard helps, but obviously he can't do it all. Um, I also bring up maybe the thought that not having Barry helps a little, which I'm not going towards the trade conversation here. I'm just kind of going towards the, what are they missing and what are they gaining without Barry? Is there anything that you guys can put your finger on? Is it too early to say that? It is a bit unfair to bring it up when they, they're winning, which I'm not saying they're winning because Barry's not playing. But is there is there something there, I guess is what I'm asking. As far as Barry or as far as how they're breaking it out? Well, I think all of it. I think all of it. Like, Is there anything that you think is contributing to the, the better possession metrics? And is there anything that you think might be linked back to not having Barry? This predates not having Barry, so Oh, I know that. But I but they've they've done pretty well in his absence too. I think honestly they're just using their speed a lot better and they're a lot more disciplined. Um you know, I, I hate to quote the dude here, but you know what Ryan Suter said to Russo after the wild game was just sort of like, you know, they're they're a really good team now. They used to just run around all the time, and now they're actually using their skill. And I think that's, you know, a very simplistic way of saying that, you know, that they're playing disciplined, good hockey now, rather than just trying to, you know, get out of the zone. You know, I mean, they're they're making plays as far as knowing what they want to do with the puck and looking for people to pass to when they're trying to break out. Right, like focusing on the structure actually opens it up for their skill. Yeah. It helps that there's someone on every defensive pairing that can actually leave the zone with possession. I mean, you've got Johnson and Zadorov who both can do it, although Zadorov is more likely to pass it out. And then you've, Sam Gerrard can do it, which helps a lot. Barbario with, has been much improved in, in the you know, middle fourth of the season over the beginning. He's, he's got the ability to move the puck out. Tyson Berry has the ability to move the puck out. I mean, it's not always relying on, well, if you just get it across the blue line and we can get a change. Like, we're not doing that anymore. I think yeah, I mean, I think it took... Control. I think it probably took 20 games to get used to the fact that there's no Boschemans or, you know, any of the awful players that we had in the past few years. You know, everyone out there pretty much is is competent. Um. And it's terrible to say that's a great change, but it is. 
Yeah, like two goals, those first two goals yesterday, I think, were directly responsible from great breakouts. Yeah. It's, you know, it's making 200-foot plays like that. It's just, you never saw that, you know, in, in any of the wall era teams or, you know, I mean, you can go back as far as you want. And I've also been pointing out, specifically Miko Rantanen, but this is a team-wide thing, too. Their their neutral zone play is is so much better. And that's where you may be seeing some of that discipline coming in. They're not just trying to see who can get through from one blue line to the other. You're not just hoping that you stop the puck carrier as he as as he comes through the other direction. Like the Avalanche actually have a system in play and they're they're benefiting from that. They're able to shut down entries the other direction. And you, you know, there were a lot of cherry pickers on the old teams. You know, it's like <clears throat> I mean, Iggy was the most obvious of them, but it's like flying the zone. Like Duchesne always flew the zone. Iggy always flew the zone. It's like getting guys like that off that didn't support the breakout is, you know, it's probably subtle, but it's it's a pretty big point. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it, that's something that could work, but you need players that are much stronger at breaking out than what the Avalanche had. And I mean, it's, it's much am- easier to break out with five guys than it is with four, you know? Yep. It's pretty amazing that they're pretty much admitting this, too. Like, it's obvious. That, oh wow, they're better without these players, but they've—they haven't even beat around the bush in the media. Like they've pretty much said they're playing better because they don't have these players, which is, like I said, it's kind of like a Captain Obvious thing. But then when you think about it, that they're actually admitting this, I think is interesting. Yeah, well, it's funny because hilarious. That... It was just like I don't yeah. know what like like he was, I, it was something like he said that he had told people on the team before. I don't know what you guys are doing out there. Yeah, um, and it's funny because every time you know it's like Bednar gets asked every press conference he goes to um, you know a, another city. It's just sort of like you know what's different this year. What how are you guys being successful? And it's impossible to point out what they're doing right now without saying how awful it was for the past few years. So it's just every time he says what's going good is a backhanded shot at everything that went on beforehand. And he's pretty honest. Like, he wants yeah. to answer the question honestly. Like, anytime he gives a long-winded answer, and I know some people just kind of like glaze over, but if you really actually listen to him, he's being honest is why he's taking forever to answer the question because he wants to, like, give the real answer. And he, He's not a dynamic speaker, but he definitely wants to give you a thoughtful response for whatever you've asked. Right, yeah. and especially on... You know, he, he might not always do it in the presser because he knows they have, like, five minutes or whatever. But, um, but yeah, especially, like, on the radio or whatever, he, he will answer the whole question. And, yeah, he always says that is basically we don't have these slugs anymore, which is just pretty amazing <laughs> that <laughs> this isn't news. Like, everybody knew this last year. And it was just it just goes back to the, you know, it didn't have to be that way, which I know. You know, we, we don't need to look back and say, you know, what did they, did they do wrong? All that matters is that they finally are doing some things right. But it's it's just still so amazing to me that it was like, you know, they knew they had these burdens and and there's nothing they could do about it. Or at least to their perception, nothing they could do about it. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can tell he almost wants to say, like, well, did you see who we had on the blue line last year? We had Patrick Weirkosh, we had Cody Golubev, and we had Eric Jelena, and they're not in the league anymore. They sucked. We got rid of those guys, and we got better. 
<laughs> Rude. Yeah, younger, faster. <laughs> Just say, Joe, keep keep it going. Keep but it I, I think, you know, what, what we've, all these points we've been hitting on is what makes it so tough to say, you know, where they're going to be, you know, 10 games, 20 games, 30 games away from now. Um, right. It's like, just because it's so be- new. We don't know. We have no track record with the youngsters, and there's so many of them. And we don't have a track record with playing like this. And it's, you know, it's just fun to discover, you know, what, what they're going to do today. And it's and, usually good for a change. Yeah. And, and there is one other thing that I think we've missed that I want to hit on here, and that's the improvement from Nikita Zadorov. This, this is a player who... Like, I believe that that his improvement last season was real. You could understand why people would be a little bit wary of it because it didn't last very long before he was gone and then he came back and struggled again, which, I mean, he came back from a knee injury. He's going to struggle. Um, but him coming back and, and being a force on that blue line, especially to prevent entries with control the other direction, like, he's been a big part of this improvement too. And his game is so much more complete than even it was when he was, you know, it was really hot right before the injury last year. I mean, it's like he he hadn't had any offense in the NHL, really. I mean, he had a little bit with Buffalo, and I didn't watch him, so I don't know how that happened. But <laughs> with the Avs, he really hadn't had much scoring. And just, you know, the way he's pulling, putting up points and playing on a top pair now, um, you know, we're, we're sort of in really uncharted waters with him, and, he, and he's doing really really well with it um i don't know if that's a surprise or not it, it's a it's definitely a nice surprise if it is um but it just did nothing he's doing you're looking at like oh he's never gonna do that consistently i mean it's like he's just playing good solid hockey and, and you know just plays are being made that a, that a guy of his size and skill level should be able to make you know it's 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 not anything that's really special it's not a a shooting percentage thing, you know, that you can sort of point to and say that's unsustainable. It's just, you know, he looks like what we thought he was going to be. And, you know, that might be part of the kind of the 20 game or so uptick because he is playing all those minutes and his possession numbers are actually really quite good. That could be something where, him playing that way and playing more minutes. And if, if you go down the list of all the top forwards that he's faced and his performance against them, like Tavares, Crosby, Kopitar, you know, what we even had last Benz night. again, yeah. It, it, it's been a whole string of nobody's real top line has been able to do much against the Avs. And it's been consistent like that for a little while. And that might be something that maybe people don't quite realize, or maybe it's kind of lost or you feel like it's not a big deal to shut for a star, not to do much against the abs one night. But then if you think about it, has anybody really had a huge night against the abs in say, you know, those last 20 games? I don't think since the Duchesne trade when half the team wasn't thinking about the game anyway. Yeah. Well, not, and, and another good thing I'm starting to see is that, that coaches, especially on the road, are trying to avoid matching up their top line against Johnson and Zadorov. And 
since that oftentimes happens when our first line is out there, that sort of helps because now, right now Mac is going against a checking line rather than the other team's top line. Um, and so I know that's why Bedner likes the Soderberg line too, because he can use that line against top lines then. Yeah. Well, it's like last, last night they used Jost's line against Sagan, or you know, Hitch tried to match his first against Jost's line, and they got killed in possession, but they didn't give up anything, really. So, <clears throat> you know, I kind of like the way that worked out. It's like, it's not just Soderbergh's line. It's like, if, if you can make Jost and Wilson and, and Bork, you know, another line that can match up against top lines, and, you know, maybe they take one for the team like they did last night and have <laughs> crappy stats. <laughs> but... You know, it's like if, if, you know, if the other team's top line isn't scoring, that's huge. Yeah, and, and I don't want to diminish the game that Jonathan Bernier had last night. Like, he was, he was outstanding, and he faced a lot of shots from really in close. So, I mean, that, that game could have easily not been 4-1. The, the Avalanche outshot Dallas, but they were by no means shot dominant. Yeah, yeah. the penalty kill was huge last night, too. That's another thing. If if the penalty kill can stay even top 10 all year. Yeah, they're second better. now. <laughs> we spent like two weeks of this show going, boy, they've got to fix the penalty kill. Yeah, Remember they started that? out five of their first 10, <laughs> and, and right now they're second in the league. Remember when the penalty kill was shit? <laughs> this has been, like, this is a quick turnaround for that. Yeah. But that, I mean, I, I just think it's amazing. And it's something that looked like when it, uh, maybe a, a tragic flaw of the team early on is now one of its biggest strengths. Yeah. And as much as we hate the power play, I mean, it's it's got a pretty decent conversion rate and it happens a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they settle the power play out, because I think I think you have to give Gerard a decent role on it. And, you know, Barry mm-hmm. will be back and, and he will be on the power play. Like, we know that's going to happen, but, you know, I just hope maybe they have a little bit more of an open mind on how, how to use the power play. Yeah, more more Gerard for sure. Um, but the, the ceiling for this team is is obviously, I think, a, a, obviously to me, probably not obvious to everybody, because what's obvious to you and what's obvious to me are not the same thing. Um, but I think the, uh, the ceiling is, you know, wild card spot one or two. I don't think they get any higher than that. No, there's yeah. there's just no way in in this division. I mean, they could. It, it would take a fantastic collapse from one of the teams that are up there now. But it's, not that I, I would mean, be opposed to that, right? You know, it's like I I I, I just don't see any of those three. <clears throat> I mean, they they all have their flaws. I mean, it's like Winnipeg's sort of a new guy up there. St. Louis, I don't, I think, is kind of hitting above their weight a lot. Um, but you know, it's like they. For a realistic top for the Avs this season, you know, you're looking at one of the wild card spots, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. Now, is it realistic to expect them to end up in one of those wild card spots? This is the next question. Um, and and that's where you start to look at you know a lot of their death march games are not against the strongest opposition until after the deadline. Yeah. And, and that's when you get into March, and that's when you start seeing Minnesota, Nashville, Columbus, Minnesota, St. Louis, Nashville, Chicago, uh, for the second time, even even though Chicago's struggling, they're still not like terrible. Uh, 
LA, Vegas, Vegas. I mean, March is going to be rough. Yeah. I think <laughs> I, I really think the Avalanche could be in a decent position coming out of February, and I hope that doesn't change their strategy at the deadline, but cuz cuz March is going to hit them in the face. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, ho- I hope they they really stick to the plan. What's so important and what I talk about a lot is just like things are great, but let's be honest, it's not unheard of that they bottom out and then have kind of like a a refreshed momentum that they have after having an awful year. Like, you know, we see a lot of good things that's, that, that should be able to help in the future, but they really have to keep this into perspective. It, it's not like we haven't seen this before. And it's not just the miracle year. It happened after they drafted Duchesne. It happened after they drafted Landeskog. Like, you know, it's, it's a process and there's so many steps that they have to get through. They have to get through next year and, and maybe even the year after that to really build something. So, so yeah, I hope that they just don't take this next month and think that there's anything different. Um, a reason to change their plans anyway. There definitely is signs of real difference, but it's just going to take time. I mean, I think, I'd, you know, I would settle for not doing any harm. You know, as long as they don't buy anything that's going to hurt them, then I think we're okay. It's, it'd be so much better if they sold, but... <clears throat> um, I mean, I still think they need picks. Like, they need to realize what difference that makes. Um, but They, they do. But I, I, but I, I, you know, I, I know how tempting it is, and it's not just with the Avs. It's any team. You know, they see where they are. And it's hard to justify when you're really on the bubble to get rid of a guy that's a you know a strong part of your team. But again, as long as they don't buy anything, they'll be okay. So that's you know that's step number one. It'd be right. really so much better if they did sell. You know, you know, for if we're looking at some top fifty picks for Como and and you know maybe adding something for a larger deal. <clears throat> you know that that's really going to make them a lot better down the road, but you know it takes two to tango. If that deal's not there, it's not there. Yeah. But I th- I think yeah. it will be. Um, but you know that that's just where I'm at. I as long as they don't buy anything, I'm not going to be mad about it. Yeah, I I mean, there's mad and disappointed. I mean, yeah, does not buying is good, but. You can't just keep going deadline after deadline with excuses either. Like, and I understand it's not easy. I don't expect a lot either myself. And I'm not saying I want them to sell four or five guys and totally gut this team, but it's enough with the excuses. It's part of building your team is getting assets. Get yeah. some draft picks, which you can then use to pick up, you know, more prospects and. Also, maybe, you know, if you're looking at what you need to add to this team, it's not things you are likely to trade for. It's it's goaltending depth. It's scoring wingers. It's, you know, the kind of players that are going to be available in free agency when you have a giant cap opening. And then when it is... There's always a Michael Bodker out there, though. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have a surplus when it is time to buy, then you have options. 
then you're like Tampa Bay who has um, maybe more prospects than they could ever could use, but they're developing them. And that's why they can make a deal where they move Joanne for Sergachev. Where they can trade Joanne and be better. Like what? I I think, I I think the ultimate driver of, of the case you can make to sell at the deadline is having guys that can replace whoever you're trying to sell. And it's going to be the abs perception is if we get rid of this guy, who's going to take his place. And if they're fine with whoever they're thinking about, then, you know, that, that just makes it a lot more likely that that deal is going to get done. If, you know, if they say like, and we get rid of Como, I just, I don't know who's going to replace him. I don't know if we need to do this. You know, it's going to be a lot harder to get that deal done, but. It, it is going to be tough to replace Como specifically, but, you know, I, th- I think they should see it by this point that Greer needs to be on the team, that, you know, that's at least one, I think, that they could get, you know, get away with justifying. But then there's Bork. Could Bork do reasonably what Como does? Yeah, I mean, it's if you put him. Bork's play and Greer's play and, say, Toninato's play together, you know, does that make up for Blake Como? Yeah, I definitely think it does. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just they've got to realize that. And I know we think that way. But, yeah, I mean, that's just it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's partially from the coaching staff. They've got to come out and say... You know, if Joe asks, you know, what, what's it going to look like if, if we trade this guy, the, the coaching staff has to say, I, I think we have this. You know, I think this guy and this guy can do these roles and I think we'll be fine. You know, that sort of gives the green light to Joe and, and McFarland to go searching out, you know, who wants those players. And I understand they don't want to undermine what the team's trying to do. They're trying to win. It's very important for the players to have the goal of playoffs and things like that. So, and, so and yeah, the fans I too. Yeah, and, and, and I totally get that too. But fans aren't going to miss, you know, Como or Nieto or Barbario. Like, no, the, the ones that are buying the tickets on a day to day basis aren't going to notice that. But yeah, yeah, but I get that if if you're not selling this to your team, as in like, well, we don't really believe in you guys. You know, they just it's. It, if it just feels like, hey, it's the next step, we're going to play a few more of the young guys. and These guys are the future. It's not just like filler here. <laughs> but don't forget, Matt Nieto's from Long Beach. <laughs> well, I just mean who they're repl- being replaced with. It's not filler. It's not like they sell someone and then like, oh, here's Golabat. Like, they got to replace they- <laughs> someone from that. that- yeah, you sell Nieto, but you're playing Greer. That's not like, hey, we, we're consciously taking a step back. Is AJ Greer yeah. from Long Beach? No, he is. He's from, from Quebec. Yep. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's still interesting, though. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, for what we're looking at for the rest of the season, there's just, there's a lot that we're going to be going through in the next six weeks. And it's just, I I think it's really hard to predict how it's going to turn out, but at least it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's like this time last year, 
we're like, boy, I sure hope they call up Bigra and Greer and everybody, and we can get rid of some of these old guys. And boy, won't that be sweet! It never happened. Did you watch the game last night? No, it's I watched about ten minutes and got bored. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, of course, this is fun. The games in the last month or so, I think they've all been fun. I think there's only been one game they had where it was, or maybe two that Arizona game wasn't so great, but like two that wasn't so great. But even a few of their losses were fun, like the Tampa Bay game and stuff. But what I want to do is I want to have fun next year. I don't want to have like expectations and then disappointment. Like the fun's got to keep going. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that goes back to your point that, you know, you, you see a little uptick, you know, when Sacco left and when Patrick left, you know, you, you look for a bad year followed by a good year and then continue to get good. And that, that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, that, that's really what we're all looking for. Yeah. Um, and and the, the best way to make sure that we don't use up all our fun this year is to make sure that at this year's deadline, please do not get out GM'd by a potato. <laughs> <laughs> Let someone else be the idiot. If you're having a good year, Joe, have a good deadline. And then maybe think about firing Craig Billington, and then you have my vote for GM of the year. (laughs) So do do we want to do stars and scratches for one game? Were there any scratches? Um, Oh, I'm sure there were. No. Is there anyone that really deserves a scratch? Is anyone really that bad? uh, Tim Peel. Yeah. <laughs> um, the injury bug. I mean, I guess we haven't really discussed like the the voodoo injuries that were all supposed to be better after the break that weren't. Now it's yeah. kind of like the all star break. Yeah, where's where's Finn and and Jimothy Timothy at? Well, at least Comfort was skating in a red jersey. The, the others think, were MIA. MIA. I think those two will be back soon enough. Um, but yeah, the barley thing, which I'm sure will be a, a bigger, will be a topic of conversation until he does return. Right. And and as long as Bernier continues to hold down the fourth, that's okay. And we may eventually see a start for Andrew Hammond, question mark. Um, but this, uh, this Varley's groin thing, we, we were told the surgery was going to fix it. It didn't. Well, I'm I'm kind of in the middle of it because it's not like the surgery guaranteed he would never get injured again. But I understand this is a groin, and it's just not like just another injury. So that is a concern. But we'll probably know a lot when and if he does come back, and if it's okay at that point. The weird thing was last night on Altitude, they kept saying, yeah, he'll be back in a game before the All-Star break, and I'm like, that's not what Bednar (laughs) said. (laughs) He said he was hoping to get Varley on the ice, which I took to mean is practicing before the All-Star break, and it didn't sound like that was, like, bet your house on it either. Yeah, you can interpret on the ice however you want, but that, that, that state media... Yeah, yeah, well, Bednar is—he does have a pretty—I wouldn't say maybe not policy, but he's pretty strict to 
if you don't practice, you're not going to play. So, like, if somebody yeah. wasn't practicing, it's just, it's not going to happen. It doesn't even matter what he says or what they say. It's pretty obvious. So, yeah, if Farley doesn't get a few practices in, there's no way he's going to play. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a toughie. And, you know, I'm glad Burns is making us not really worried about, <clears throat> about that situation too much. And, yeah. Hopefully that will continue. So, star is at least Jonathan Bernier. Definitely. Oh. And I say every know. everyone on the rook. I say all the rookies. I think they all deserve credit for yesterday. And I'll yeah. throw Z in with there too. Um, I think Z had a really good game and two assists. Um, I don't want to say he's quiet. About the way he goes about it, but it's just he makes a lot of subtle hits now that I really like. He's not like out there killing people, but it's like he's just so strong. He'll just breeze by somebody, and suddenly they're just bowling towards the wall or something like that. And then you're just like, "How did that happen?" He just touched him, and now he's flying across the ice. It's you know, he's just so strong and focused. Um, you know, it's just it's really great to have a defenseman. Sort of the, to counteract, you know, not that I don't like Sam's size or anything like that, but it's like when you have a guy like Sam that's so shifty, and then you have a guy like Zadorov that's just huge and strong, and they both can skate. I mean, it's just, it makes the game so much fun to watch. They could be an interesting pairing down the road, too. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's look down the road, but not too far. Just, just this week. Uh, the Avalanche are back in action this week with three home games. First up on Monday, which is Martin Luther King Day in the States. If you're wondering why the game versus the Anaheim Ducks on Monday is at 1 o'clock. Then on Thursday, the San Jose Sharks are in town at 7 o'clock Mountain. And then on Saturday, it's the New York Rangers at 1 o'clock again. Matinee week? How will the Avalanche do? Oh, boy. I've been um... feeling like they were going to have a letdown probably for like the last two weeks, and they haven't, so... I'll what? say four points. I say they'll break break their streak, but but they're on a pretty good roll and they'll they'll win two games. I thought the Dallas game was the easy pick for the letdown game. Yeah, I was. I just didn't know what to expect coming into that. But it was lucky that they were off their bye week too. Yeah, I mean that was a it, as as much as it wasn't a boring game at all. There weren't that many shots. Yeah, ne- neither team had thirty shots on goal. Which is, um, is kind of crazy for a Dallas game. <laughs> yeah. Those used to be good for about 80 to 90 total shots. Yep. Yeah. So you've got um, four points. What have you got, Earl? I think we'll beat Anaheim just because I don't know. You know, they, they're just mediocre this year. I, th- I think coming back home where the Avalanche have done fantastic lately, that's, that's the kind of game they should win and they will. Um, San Jose is going to be really interesting because the Avs haven't played them yet, and <clears throat> the Sharks aren't as sort of good as they've been historically over the past few years. Um, yeah, they might be getting a little slow too. So I'm really interested to see if if the Avs' speed um, is a big factor against them. Yeah, so that's an easy two points. Um, <laughs> And then the Rangers, I can't stand the Rangers, so we'll beat them. So six points. And I think the Rangers are playing better than they did earlier, but 
but yeah, I, I could see them playing that. Um, but then do I think their winning streak's going to hit like eight or so? I don't know. If, at some point it becomes a distraction. So I'm not, I'm fine with them winning, losing one of these games. It's just, I can't yeah. pick one that they're going to do that. I know. I almost want to say the Anaheim game just because it's time, but I've probably said that the last three games they played. So, but I guess that's my pick. We'll drop that one and then pick it up against the other two. It's going to be a tough week for Colorado because on Monday they have to face the inevitable hat trick from Francois Beauchemin. <laughs> is he going to play or is he a healthy scratch? Still? And then on Thursday they got to overcome the hat trick from Avs killer Joe Pavelski. Yeah, and That's then on Saturday, Marlowe's not there. And then on Saturday, they have to overcome the hat trick from Nick Holden. Yeah, the best defenseman true. on the team. So, I think it's going to be four points. I think they probably drop the game to Anaheim, um, for no real reason. That's just a gut call. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's better to have a letdown as soon as possible. I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, as long as it's not like eight to two or something like that. I mean, if they lose a close one, four to three or something like that, it's, you know, I, it's, I don't think it's a big deal for these guys. Yeah. Get, be, you know, get they, unlucky, they, be a little flat, maybe even just don't get Brazil. Yeah. Anything else before we, before we call it? I know we've gone a little bit over what we were hoping to go and have got things to do. So. <sighs> Okay. I don't want to talk about the rampage, so no. <laughs> yeah, that's its whole other. There isn't time to go into that right now. Yeah, well, whatever happens, wh- whichever former Avalanche or Avs killer gets the hat trick this week, you know you can find out here. Uh, make sure to uh, check out the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio. If you've had trouble downloading from SoundCloud over the last few weeks, uh, uh, my bad. I, I messed up a setting. It's fixed now. Um, you can also catch the show on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash Radio on your favorite RSS feed or podcatcher, on iTunes, on Google Play Music, on burgundyrainbow.com where it's always posted. And make sure to join us in the Discord to chat hockey and movies and the flu and whatever all day, every day on the Burgundy Radio Discord. Whatever happens next week, we'll be back probably the same time as always, although the Saturday game is early, so we may we may record Saturday night. I don't know. We'll see. Um, keep your head up in the dirty areas, and we'll see you next week. I found out like an hour ago that I have somewhere to be in an hour and 15 minutes from now. Me so. too. <laughs> <laughs> 45 minutes. That's okay. <laughs> I'm on my phone. I can turn it on whenever. <laughs> yeah. I have so auto. We're going to miss much. <laughs> yeah. Not any goals. Um, you might miss goals. Just yeah, if, they, if they score, they tend to score really early. That's true. If not, they tend not to score at all. Yeah, you can tell what kind of game it's going to be like. 10 minutes into the game. So, you can tell if you want to actually watch it or not. <laughs> Go and do something else well, on in the background. If, if they, I mean, if they don't score first, they're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, Malosh is playing. That means I actually watch it. <laughs>